May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I wonder if you have found, as I have, that sometimes the hardest people for us to appreciate are not the ones who are most different from us, but the ones who are only a little bit different from us. I grew up in Lacombe, one of the greatest small towns in the world, <laughs> 20 minutes north of Lacombe's Pinocchio, which is a dump. <laughs> We know this, right? Edmonton, Calgary, Canada, USA. I spent time in a lot of different church traditions, and this gets into the church as well. It seems like the greatest enemy in many churches is usually some other Christian group. So when I'm with my evangelical friends, it's those merry worshiping Catholics or those liberal heretic Anglicans. And when I'm with my liberal heretic Anglican friends, it's those evangelicals that we think are Pentecostals because we don't really know the difference. Or those overly emotional Pentecostals. So the teachings we get today, both from Paul and Jesus, are important and as relevant as ever. Paul says, welcome those who are weak in faith. I wonder. If this is being read in a Baptist church somewhere across town, if they're thinking of the weak in faith as us, and maybe if some of us are thinking of the weak in faith as them. And then Jesus is asked, if a member of the church, if a member of the church sins against me, how many times should I forgive? We know this gets into church life. But evidently, in the church in Rome that Paul is writing to, there's some trouble integrating two different groups. So we have this one group that's labeled weak, and they avoid eating meat, probably meat that's been sacrificed to idols, and they honor certain holy days. And there's another group over here with no dietary restrictions, and who consider all days just the same. It's likely that the first group was largely Jewish, and the second group largely Roman, so there's an ethnic dimension going on here as well. Paul, for his part, of course, is Jewish, but through his conversion to following Jesus, and his commissioning to be the apostle to the Gentiles, sent to bring good news to Christians beyond the nation of Israel, he's let go of many of those rituals and customs that had been a central part of his life and faith as he had been growing up as a devout Jew, and maybe a bit of a legalistic Pharisee. But now he feels free from the rules that limited what he could eat and prescribe which days to observe as holy. And this is good. This is good for Paul. It's not moral or theological laxity on his part. He gets there with a clear conscience. And he's found this to be truly liberating something that any good religion or spirituality should be. But Paul doesn't insist on everyone else enjoying the same freedom. He doesn't insist that everyone else should do things his way. He allows space for the genuine piety of those who continue with the practices and beliefs that he left behind. 
And it doesn't appear that he does so in a provisional way, as if he's just leaving time for them to get with the program and think the way he thinks. He seems perfectly happy for them to continue eating meat, observing holy days indefinitely, just as they are, because in their consciences, they're honoring God, just as Paul in his conscience is honoring God. This is a nice little bit of Paul, a little bit of live and let live. What's noteworthy here is Paul doesn't propose to set up one church over there for those who want to eat the meat and not keep any particular holy days, and another church over here for those who want to abstain from meat and have certain holy days. Because Paul sees that what's most important, the most important defining feature of each group, is not the thing that makes them different, but the thing that makes them the same. Namely, that they belong to God. So he says, we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to God. And if we die, we die to God. So that whether we live or die, we belong to God. I know we've got a lot of cradle Anglicans here. And we also have a number of people who have come from other religious traditions, who for a variety of reasons have consciously chosen to leave a place where they were. And we have others who don't yet know where they fit in the sort of denominational, liturgical, theological matrix. And that can be an odd feeling sometimes. That can be a difficult thing to go through if you're in between. Well, we want to be a church that's a church for everyone, wherever you fit in that, because we all belong to God. For those of us who have consciously left another faith tradition, as we think about those traditions we've left, and even if you haven't changed churches, I'm sure you've had moments where your thinking has changed, your beliefs have changed, the way you understand God or church or the world has changed. How do we receive those churches or people who haven't found the changes that we have found? In Paul's day, the issues of eating certain foods and observing certain holy days were big theological issues. They might sound a bit trivial to us now, but in Paul's time, these were the things that were heavily debated in councils. Sometimes maybe it feels like today's issues are bigger. Why do people leave churches? Well, it might be because of politics. My politics, my politics don't fit with the church that I came out of. It has to do with gender and sexuality. It has to do with how the church responds to climate change. The stakes feel higher, and the importance of good theology can sometimes be a matter of life and death. Think in the church, in churches that don't affirm LGBTQ youth, how it is for those people as they come up hearing that who they are is not welcome, that God's not okay with who they are. And we know that suicide levels among queer teens is much higher than, than those who aren't. Or in churches that talk about a sort of male hierarchy in the household, the dangers that can pose when there are, there's abuse and how to get out of that situation. There really are theological positions that are intolerable, things we are compelled to speak up against, things we're called to debate, even though Paul says, welcome everyone, but not for the sake of arguing. Sometimes we do have to argue. 
do we do with the people with whom we disagree? What do we do with those individuals? Everyone has a story that gets them to where they are. Everyone has a story for why they believe a certain way, why they behave a certain way. And their story isn't done being written. None of us are finished products, thank God. We're each individual works of progress, and the church is a work in progress. I think of an example when I was worshiping at Holy Trinity Brussels, which was a neat church with a lot of young people who came for a couple of years to do some intern work at the EU, and then they were gone again. It was a very transient community, but it made for a very tight-knit community for the time we were there. And a new guy moved from Texas with his cowboy boots and his big belt buckle. And he introduced himself and everyone, of course, asked, what do you do in New Brussels? Well, he worked for an oil and gas company. And God bless my Dutch friend, who was an intern at the EU working on climate change policy. And he just laid into this guy as if this Texan was the reason that the world was falling apart. He took everything he felt about the world and laid it on this one guy. Not very welcoming. To his credit, the, the Texan stuck around for a few weeks before he decided this was not the church for him. It's a real temptation to, uh, to respond to individuals with the, the sort of level of anger we might feel about an institution or a, an idea or ideology. There's a wonderful and challenging quote from Thomas Keating, one of our great spiritual teachers. To accept everyone unconditionally is to fulfill the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. To accept everyone unconditionally is to fulfill the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a way of loving and welcoming in a non-possessive way to allow someone to be who they are, even if we don't agree. And it seems to be the kind of welcome that Paul invites us to in Romans. This requires a lot of us. It requires us to stay curious to withhold judgment as long as we can, and to remain open to the other, and to remember that God is writing a story in their life that we don't know the ending to. One of the weird gifts of the church, both in its local expression in a gathered community and in its big expression as a collection of diverse traditions, is the way it can be a training ground for virtue, virtues of patience, forgiveness, and welcoming difference. May God give us the grace to learn these virtues, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to stand against what we must stand against, but to love all people and accept them as they are, and trust in the Holy Spirit's work in their life and in our world. Amen.